Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So whenever I hear like a cool historical story, I get really excited to share it here with our listeners. Um, And it's funny because I think sometimes you're in the zone of like property rights and all the things that we talk about individual liberty that you feel like you've heard all the stories. So it's really cool when you come across a new one. And I work with a lot of really, really, really smart attorneys, a lot of them who love property rights. That's their biggest passion. And so that's how I found this story. Um, And I was so excited because, again, I'd never heard it before. So today I want to talk about the Jamestown settlement in um, the early colonial America and how it was saved by property rights. And this is kind of cool because it ties into a story we talked about probably years ago now about how property rights saved um, Plymouth, like saved the first Thanksgiving. It wouldn't have happened. Um, So it ties in really closely with this. And so I think it's really cool. So let's talk about Jamestown first to understand what that was. And Jamestown was um, like the first permanent settlement in America. Obviously, you had the um, pilgrims who came over first. But this is like the first like getting things are getting established. Things are getting getting real serious over here. So let's see. It was in I think it was 1607 when the first group of British colonists started coming for Britain to uh, Jamestown, which is in Virginia. I hope we know it's Virginia today. So that was 200 years before the Revolutionary War. So think about that. Like this is way before all that's happened. This is setting the foundation for that. And it was settled by a group called the Virginia Company. If you've ever seen the movie Pocahontas, there's a whole song about Virginia Company which is funny to me because even though I watched that as a kid, I don't think I knew what it was until like (laughs) recently because you just hear these terms and you don't think about it. But basically the Virginia Company was a group of explorers that England sent to colonize North America. So like that was their job and that's what they were doing over here. Now, there are a lot of really poor people that, you know, were stuck in their life in England and they wanted a better life. So they agreed to come over with the Virginia Company as long as they agreed to be what's called an indentured servant. And an indentured servant is just, sounds horrible to me, but it's when you agree to work without getting paid for a certain amount of time. I don't know why you always hear seven years, but seven years is something that like always comes up with indentured servants. And usually it was like a minimum of seven years. So imagine, Connor, you're just working for free on someone else's land And you're not going to get paid, but at the end of the time, you'll kind of be, you will have paid your debt for somebody bringing you over there and giving you, you know, a couple meals a day. So it's not a great situation. Um, But if you're let, you know, if you want to improve your life and there was nothing going on for you in England, that was a really good option for people. So that's what they did. Um, So the first three ships that came to Jamestown, they had about 105 men and, and boys and they started this fort and these are all indentured servants. And within three years, most of them died in what they called the starving years, which does not sound like a fun time to be alive, at least not to me. Um, And what was so weird about this was the land was like really lush. So it was good for growing crops. So it wasn't that they starved. I wasn't, was it? Was it in Plymouth where it wasn't good and they or they had to learn like what crops to – it's been so while right. I, I can't remember. Right. But this – they didn't have that problem in Virginia. I live in Virginia. It's very, very green. Things grow very easily here. And there was like wild turkey and all this meat. And so that's what makes this so puzzling is because it's like, okay, you guys had everything. Why did all these people still die? And the problem was it's because there was no private property. And that was what caused the whole problem. So we'll kind of back up there a little bit. So I think we all know that private property 
and, you know, capitalism, they create these incentives for people to work harder. You know, it's great to work hard when you can see that work rewarded, right? Because what it, what you're really doing when you work is you're giving up your time. And that time is usually compensated with money. So if you hate your job, hopefully you don't. But if, you know, some people hate their job, at least at the end of two weeks or a month, they have a paycheck where they can be like, okay, at least I made this. Imagine working so hard and not seeing any of that. I mean, I think, Connor, for me, anyway, it'd be really hard to want to work, right? Why would you want to work if you're not? For sure. Why would you know you're not being rewarded? We're naturally so, lazy people. <laughs> we are naturally lazy people. So again, yeah, imagine being an indentured servant and you never get to see any of what um, I think it was John Locke made. I don't know if he coined the term. Actually, I don't think he did coin the term, but it was uh, the fruits of your labor. So, you know, if, like imagine if you plant something and you watch it grow and you get to take those fruits. So the money you get from from working would be the fruits of your labor. So instead of that, any hard work you do or any laziness you do, everything is going into this like community bucket and and shared equally, you know, which basically socialism. So without property and incentives, these people weren't working hard and they, they, why would they? So to show you how bad things got under this, so you have these people, they're not really working hard. So in 1609, that's just two years after the first boat came, there were 500 people in the colony. Six months later, there were fewer than 100. So that is more than half of people who died off because of starvation. And some of those deaths were from diseases. Like we do need to make sure that that's known. And some of them were from like there, there was a mixed kind of relationship with the Native Americans that were there before. So sometimes they were friends, sometimes they would fight. So some of those deaths come from that, but like just a tiny amount. And Connor, things got so bad, they started eating like dogs and cats. Like that is how bad it got. And rats and mice. And there's even some really gross rumors that they started eating dead bodies because they just were so hungry, which is just disgusting to, I think, all of us. So by springtime, they're like, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. We've been here, you know, three or four years. It's not going well for us. We're getting back on a boat to England. We're going back. Like, we're done. So they're boarding their ships and they're leaving. And as they're leaving, they pass three new ships of colonists headed towards Jamestown. Like, they were like new recruits. They were coming to try their luck. And I don't know why they decided to turn back. I mean, I think they thought like, oh, there are more supplies. But given how bad things were, I don't know about you, Connor. I wouldn't have been eager to go back. I would have been like, see ya. <laughs> like, nope, I'm gone. Dude, I'm done. <laughs> I, I just watched somebody eat a dog. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm out. But so they decided, you know what? There's three more ships. That means there's a lot of more supplies. Let's give it another go. Let's see what helped them or let's see, you know, where this can go. And and the supplies did help them. It did help them stay alive. But the real difference was actually from the new governor and his name was Thomas Dale. And he made just all the difference. And there's a book about him and I can't, I think the book is called, I'll I'll try to post it in show notes, but it's, I don't think, I don't think our listeners, our kids will want to listen, but parents, you might want to listen and, and maybe talk about it, have it be a conversation started to build on on this episode, but it's all about uh, Thomas Dale and, and property rights in Jamestown. It's very interesting. So he could not believe his eyes. So he gets he gets over to Jamestown trying to figure out what the lay of the land is. And instead of seeing people working hard to plant crops and and you know hunt and do the things that they need to do for for a civilization to survive he sees them playing games in the street they're they're bowling they were like setting up random like objects and like bowling like today like makeshift bowling and he's just sitting there and his jaw is dropping and he's like is this real like you guys just 
almost <laughs> died of starvation and like you're not even trying. So he has this idea. He's like, okay, how how can I change this? Because this is obviously not sustainable. We don't want to send another, you know, couple boats back to England because we can't make this work. So he has this idea. He thinks, okay, I can get them to care about their work as long as I give them each three acres of private land. And I'm going to free them all from their indentured servitude and let them work for themselves. And this was huge. And you have to keep in mind, again, this is pre-John, I think, it, yes, this is pre-John Locke. Wait, am I wrong on that, Connor? Uh, let's see. What's the year that we're doing here? 16, about 1610. No, this would have so, been around. I think it's right around then, if not a right little around. before when John Locke did it. Yeah, it so, the 1600s. While the founders look to John Locke as somebody who really helped establish property rights, it's one of those things, and I think this story exemplifies this, shows how cool it is. It's so inherent to us, property rights, and that belief, like that is so naturally in us that this is coming to pass and happening before, you know, there's all these essays written about property rights. So it just shows you that it is a natural inclination. So, okay, so he gives them each their own land. And once they have this private property, once they have their freedom, the situation changed. Food was more plentiful. People started innovating and building things. And why do you think that was, Connor? I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm stumped. Tell me. <laughs> because they had incentives to actually work hard. And I think we've talked about incentives on here so many times. But incentive, you know, is it kind of gives you a reason to do what you do. Why are, why are you motivated? A motivation to do it. So I run every morning at 5.30. I don't like running, Connor. It's not wow. my favorite thing to do. But I get up. I think you go to the gym about that early too, don't you? I used to. I, I, I need to get back and do that again. Uh-oh. Sh shaming you. Shaming you on the podcast. <laughs> so I get up every morning at 5.30. I don't love it. But I am incentivized to do it because my day is always better. My day is better. I am healthier. And I like that when I run, I can justify eating more food <laughs> so I can, I can make up for all the calories I burn. So I'm, there's a lot of incentive to do it, even though I may not like it. So even though the work was still hard, probably harder because they had to do it all themselves now on their own land, they had this incentive to really make it work. They were invested now. They had skin in the game, as some people yeah. call it. So they were motivated, motivated by the fruits of their labor. So they were starting to improve their own life. And one thing that we've also talked about in here a million light or a million times is that you can't improve society or community as a whole until you improve your own life. We've talked about that with like Jordan Peterson stuff, even, you know, they have that's to right. clean your room before you can change the world. And that's the same in this kind of situation. You know, if you want to have an economic impact, especially in a small colony like this, they started by maybe getting their their own farms up and running. And then what can you do with that? You can sell your crops to maybe somebody else who hasn't. And then, you know, they make maybe they make a soup with it and sell it to your family. Like all these things have rippling effects. They turn into much bigger things. And so, you know, it was a great lesson in, in seeing how important property rights were to to not only saving Jamestown, but the author of this book argues it saved America because it set this precedent for what this looks like for property ownership. And Virginia was kind of at the core of a lot of the founding, uh, just I'm trying to like, who else was from there? It was Thomas Jefferson? I want to say James mm -hmm. Madison, but I might be wrong. Was Madison from Virginia? 
Uh, I don't recall. See, don't the, recall we're just either. making homework for all these kids. Yep. I actually did homework on John Locke. He was born in 1632, so he came a bit after. Okay, so he was uh, a little bit after. Was, <laughs> yeah, when he was writing his stuff. What, what's powerful to me about stories like this, like with the incentives that we're talking about, is we deal with similar things today. What are the incentives? Like when you guys go to the national park and you see the signs that say, do not feed the bears, right, or don't feed the animals, that's incentives. If, if you feed these animals, they have an incentive to approach other humans because they think that, uh, that they'll provide them food. And they have a disincentive to find their own f- food and survive on their own because they feel like they're going to be taken care of. We have a lot of government policies today that are full of incentives uh, to not work, to not work hard. And uh, if we do want people to be industrious, if we want them to be self-sufficient, taking care of themselves so that other people through taxes aren't required to take care of them. We need to make sure that we have the right incentives. And right now we don't. The, the government has all kinds of bad incentives that encourage the wrong behavior and uh, a lot of laziness. So it's, it's cool to see stories like this from early, early America, pre-America, you might say, because this stuff can help us realize, oh, we need to fix those things today. It's not that we have indentured servitude today or, you know, the exact circumstances aren't, uh, aren't, aren't, you know, exactly mimicking what happened back then, but we can still draw a lot of lessons from the principles of what happened and the importance of the right incentives, the importance of motivating people to work hard by, by structuring the incentives that will, rather than like, you need to work hard, you know, show up for work. Why are you being lazy? Like that doesn't work. But if the incentives are right, like you pointed out, Brittany, then uh, a lot of the problems start to take care of themselves. It's a good story to reflect on. Hopefully we gave you guys a little homework of other little factoids that you can find along the way. Brittany, great chatting with you as always. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.